Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast presented by Outdoors by Owner. OBO helps the outdoorsmen find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit. Whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of Florida Bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door, or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family, OBO has the house for you. To check out all their incredible properties, visit go-obo.com. I'm your host, Captain Judd Brock, and today I sit down with two of my best buddies, Captain Michael Bell and Captain Jeff Kidwell. We discuss all the different incredible ways that redfish can be targeted here along coastal North Carolina. From sight casting, tailing redfish in shallow flooded grass to sight fishing schools of a thousand plus floating bulls in the ocean. North Carolina really does have it all when it comes to redfish. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast as well as some other video content that you can't find on YouTube. Well, guys, I hope y'all enjoy the show. We're excited to announce the Eastern Current Online Angler Series that will be kicking off this spring with a three-tournament, artificial-only redfish series. You can fish all three tournaments in the series or just one. The tournaments will be hosted through the iAngler app and you can participate from any state. The first tournament will be March 24th and 25th with an online captain's meeting the night before hosted through our Facebook page. The redfish tournament will consist of your longest three redfish per day under 32 inches. This is just the start to our online angler series and we're excited to bring you many more tournaments for redfish, speckled trout, flounder, and more. If you're interested in fishing the Spring Redfish Trail, be sure to stay tuned as we will be bringing you registration information next week, April 14th, as well as a link to the full list of tournament rules and regulations. Feel free to reach out to us on Instagram as well, and if you have any questions between now and then, we're here to answer them. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com, and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. Michael, Jeff, thanks for coming over to the shop and doing a podcast. We, I feel like every week we text about it, and then I usually cancel for some reason. So, Busy man. 
little busy or just my priorities aren't straight, I guess. But thanks for coming over. Today we're going to talk, like you heard in the intro, all about redfish in North Carolina. Uh, nothing's, or everything's fair game, you know, from bull redfish to puppy drum to fly fishing to bait fishing to sight fishing. We're just going to kind of tell you and, and encompass all of North Carolina's fisheries for redfish in a podcast. I, we've never done anything like it, and I just thought it'd be cool to kind of tell the story of our state's redfishing. Um, so it probably would be a good way to start would be to kind of talk about how we kind of fell in love with redfish as a fish here in North Carolina, like what it is about them that that gets us fired up and, and I would say is really our only opportunity for that type of fishing here. But even in other states, I'm still very drawn to redfish. But what is it for y'all that you love about redfish? Man, I mean, so I, I grew up striper fishing and doing a little bit of trout fishing. That's where I kind of got into the whole the full fly game. But yeah. um, what drew me to it was just the sight fishing aspect of it, right? Sure. Being able to see fish that get really shallow and eat different baits very aggressively. Just That's just what clicked for me. I mean, it's it's a fun fish to target, no doubt about it. They are super fun. As I say, for me, I grew up trout fishing, fly fishing in the mountains, so... You know, it was going up little tiny streams looking for a fish rising or doing something that you could physically see them. So, the hunt, yeah, the interaction between the two exactly before the bite happens, kind of. And then, you know, just changing bugs and looking for, you know, that kind of stuff too, trying to key on and key in on exactly what they're feeding on. So, coming down here, this is kind of the closest thing to that um, sight fishing for them. But I mean, they're just so diverse. I think that's the fun part. Yeah. One thing isn't working change it up you sling bait you know artificials there's so many different ways to target them yeah yeah like you you always have some kind of option for sure i i think that it's crazy if i was just thinking about this when you're talking about that like different fish different species of inshore fish can be so different like the but the redfish as far as what they eat and and how to interact with them to get them to bite but the redfish like more so than any inshore fish that I can think of, it is so much more about the presentation and where that bait intercepts the fish than what it is. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that's what's so cool is like, it takes all that guessing out. Like you don't have to worry about as much like baits like you do with bass or speckled trout or, uh, you know, a lot of things. And and like, there's other fish like that, but it's so much reliant on you putting something in the correct place to get bit. You know, 100%. And I think that is another thing that's so intriguing about it is like there's no guessing it's usually your fault if you didn't get them to bite like yeah. it, 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 there's i mean and that if they're super pressured fish or something like that that can be different but but a one-on-one shot with a redfish like 99 percent of the time it is all about the presentation from like the dude pulling the boat or running the trolling motor to like you know the bite like it's it is all on us because if it's presented correctly they're gonna eat it and i think that's what's so the, the pressure of it, uh, and, and then the ability to get the reward if you do it correctly. Like tarpon, you know, you can do it all right, and they still might not eat. And, and same with bonefish and permit and whatnot. But it's like they beat you up enough, but they still give you enough to not totally piss you off. For sure. So <laughs> they're, I think that's they're probably one of the most cooperative fish as far as that goes. If you do your job, you sure. show them the bait perfectly, put it out in front of them where he's, you know, going to find it on his own, like yeah. you've always said. I mean, they're probably going to eat it. That's yeah. That's what's that's what's fun about it. And then when they don't, then you're just like, screw redfish. <laughs> I hate redfish. Different bait. <laughs> Different fly. <laughs> then it all changes. It's I, one thing I always say. It's it's like a bunch of hard fast rules that can easily be broken. So. Yeah, no doubt about it. But uh, but yeah. So what would you say is is the 
the selling point for someone to come to North Carolina to redfish? What would be the the biggest draw that we have to offer to an angler that might be out of state that wants to come here to fish? So you probably have sight fishing opportunity year round. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's going to vary on your sizes of your fish that you got, but you've always got some kind of sight fishing opportunity just about it for them. Yeah, for sure. I th- I think probably one of the more unique parts about our region, particularly our kind of southern North Carolina region, is, is our water clarity. Yeah. You know, having really, really, really clear water, especially this time of year in the winter months, we've got just gin clear yeah. water. I mean, it is it's Caribbean-like. Yeah. Where a lot of other places to, I mean, I think Texas is very similar in that regard, but as far as, you know, Florida, Louisiana, they don't quite have the water clarity like we have, at least not the color. We have that just bluish green, gin clear, you know, feel like like you're in the emerald gin. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so pretty. It is so pretty. That, yeah, that water, the wintertime water. And it's it's funny because you get so many people that text this time of year. I'll, I'll get an email or a text about a trip, and someone's like, hey, I really want to book a trip for the spring or summer what's the best time frame you know to catch catch redfish good on the fly rod and i'm like you know right right now probably is your best bet for good numbers it's not always going to happen but right. my biggest number days are always the winter time and that clear water the fish school up and yeah. uh, you know we're learning they do that in a lot of places in the coast and that's one of the cool things about north Carolina is the diversity of fisheries that we do have for yeah. redfish like you can fish them in such different estuaries all within like a like a 150 mile stretch of coastline you you can have f- five different types of estuaries in which you'll catch fish and and, and ways where you're not going to probably see them in the same places that you saw them those places don't exist you know it, the cape fear river fish are going to orient to stuff differently than your you know new river fish are and they're going to orient differently to stuff than your topsail south topsail fish are and sure so they're the way that it's all got similar nuances to it but right as far as from what we're seeing, looking into the water, it's a whole different experience. Definitely. Just with a few miles up and down the coastline. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with the coastal rivers that run in, where they are, what kind of freshwater influence they have, how far it is from the ocean, all of that. But what would you say you're the most drawn to as far as if you could play out, like, the perfect sight fishing scenario, what, what would what would you call it? I mean, as as far as as far as, you know, Fishing with clients go, I think the best opportunity is probably this time of year when we have those bigger blobs of fish, you know, bigger schools of anywhere from 100 to 500 fish in a school. I think that's probably some of the best opportunities as far as clients go just because it's, it's, it's a lot easier of a target yeah. to cast at that bigger group of fish. And you can kind of, you know, lead those groups of fish and, and, and just kind of work your fly in, into the whole big group of them. Um, for me personally, I kind of like to target those smaller pods of fish, singles, doubles, things like that. And that usually happens in the summertime when they get really, really shallow. For sure. The water's a little dirtier, you know, it's more difficult, more challenging. That's why I personally enjoy it. But as far as, you know, if you have a goal, I want to catch a redfish on the fly in the winter months in the spring months, when you got those bigger schools, that's probably the best time to do it. Yeah. You can almost guarantee a, a fish on the fly if the person can throw it. Yeah, the decent decent ways. <laughs> I would say that's the one the one nuance to this time of year. I feel like is your casting game has to be not it's, necessarily perfect. It's but just it, distance. Yeah, you got to have the distance. It doesn't have to be pretty, but it's got to be able to get away from the boat. Yeah, yeah. you ain't gonna catch them at fifteen feet this time of year. No. Like you can do, you mm-hmm. can make that happen in the summertime when fish sure. are waking oh, and yeah. in dirtier water, like 15, 18, 20 feet. You can make it happen, but you really need the 50, 60 foot cast 
this time of year to to seal the deal. Yeah. Not that it can't happen shorter than that, but a 50, 60-foot yeah. cast with a fly rod is pretty necessary. Yeah, And really 70 feet if you can pull it off. It's just <laughs> tough to get close to the fish yeah. this time of year. I mean, they're just very temperamental, spooky. So many more bodies and eyes and whatnot. Yeah. So many more lateral lines to fill you coming in. Yeah. For sure. It's like, God, why do they spook? You know, like yeah. you feel yeah. like you're so quiet, but they're so sensitive. And I think I, I think they always I don't think they get smarter to the sense of like they're all of a sudden feeling stuff they didn't feel before. I think they just let more slide early on. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Like the more pressure you put on the fish, the more they're like, All right, last time that happened, it got a little shady in here. I'm gonna kind of go ahead and freak out now. But you know, early on in the in the winter, the schools of fish, like you can get away with a lot. Yeah. and mess up but but they definitely get i think they just put two and two together if you will some deductive reasoning going on in their little brains i think been, go ahead mike i was gonna say i think like water being clear and a lot of times we're fishing them in less than two feet of water yeah. sometimes depending on the tide less than a foot of water depending on where they're at you know just them being able to feel and sense all that is a lot greater than say during the summer when they're you know the water's a little dirty there's bait everywhere shrimp and mullet and you know, just racket kind of moving around all over the place. Yeah. And there's more know, going on. Yeah. They don't necessarily put two and two together quite as quickly. For sure. So I think you mentioned something kind of interesting, which I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is, you know, why are certain schools of fish this time of year much more spooky than others, right? You find a lot of groups of fish that are just really temperamental, really hard to feed. And all of a sudden you find one that's like they're chewing, they're snapping off. No. I'm trying to figure out like why why is this group of fish so much happier, so much more willing to eat than this other group of fish? And yeah, it could be partial and due to just fishing pressure, but also other factors of of water temperature in that particular area and as well as bait, right? They got bait in an area. Their metabolism starts going and they're they've got feeding on their mind. Whereas, That's a good point. I never really, even really thought about that. Right. Whereas some other places where they just don't have bait, their their only mindset is is find protection and just conserve energy, right? You'll find them in those areas where they're just sitting there. They're not moving at all. But other areas where the water temperature is a touch warmer and there's bait in that area, they're mobile. They're moving. And sure enough, they're happier. They're more willing to eat. You find them winking. You find them cruising back and forth. And and that's the happy school you're looking for. It's just kind of interesting to see how in the same time of year, a couple hundred yards, maybe a mile away from one another, you got two groups of fish that are the same size act entirely differently. And, and it's, you know, just based off of a few different factors. Yeah. It's interesting. That's super true. Uh, th- that's a really good point is there's more than just pressure that can affect the fish. For sure. A barometric pressure and, you know, human pressure and, and, you know, any type of predator pressure can definitely affect them co- very quickly. But, but yeah, them, them having exactly what they need around is going to keep them more active and fired up. Is, and that's a thought I've never really even, you know, played with. But it's funny how you can see a school very quickly shut down as you fish them, though. You know, like oh, yeah. in the winter, you, you the first couple shots, it's like, man, they are fired up. And then all of a sudden, they uh, they really slow down quickly. And you can bet, if you know where a school is, unless you're in some very rural areas of North Carolina, <laughs> that someone else probably knows where that school is hanging out. and. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, Unfortunately. that is definitely the case. <laughs> that's the case now. There's really no secrets. There there might be a secret for a little bit, but no. not for long. Not, and that's the one bummer about a polling skiff is, like, you really can't hide no. in an area. You <laughs> can't, can't be low-key. Like, if you're pulling in something this time of year, you're probably on fish. So, yeah. Or maybe you're looking. Maybe you're not on fish. But it's uh, 
that's the cool thing though is is just about when everyone's you know done with the schooling redfish spring happens and they start to break up into small pods and wake banks and eat those shrimp that are starting to show up and uh, it, it all kind of cycles through i mean i think i could live in late august fishing here for <laughs> yeah the whole year it. personally but that, that's my favorite well late august and late spring late spring is really early good summer. too early summer is really good and the middle of the summer is good but the, those two transitionary times yeah are are awesome and i feel like i've tried really hard to remember the water temp last year in when the cape fear when it got silly for a few days but there's there were some banks where it was like we pulled them one week nothing pulled them the next week and it was like Game hundred, hundreds of fish on the banks just pouring down. So it's uh it's just cool. The change, all the change always happens just in time where you're you're ready for something new. And maybe that's not the case if you don't get the opportunity to fish every day. But um, like like most people don't. But I think the change of seasons keeps things interesting. Always keeps you on your toes. Keeps you having to learn. Um, but what what would y'all say is is if you could give one piece of advice to someone who wants to try to DIY fish for redfish here in North Carolina, like. What, what what would you urge them? What would your coaching piece be? Don't. <laughs> Don't. Go with one of us. <laughs> stay stay, uh, stay out of North Carolina. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, man, I would I would say that don't get discouraged, right? There, there's, you know, people always say there's 90% of the fish and 10% of the water right, or whatever. Right. And, and this time of year, I'd say there's – you know, 99% of the fish and 1% of the water. There is a ton of dead water. So it's, it's really just kind of sticking with it, covering tons of ground, figuring out where those fish are. And, and don't, don't just find one school and beat up on it. I promise you there's more than one. I promise you that there's more than two. There's, you know, 20, 30, 40. There's lots of groups of fish out there. You just got to stick with it. Don't get discouraged and, and, and keep, Keep bumping and grinding, as Ozzy would say. Yeah. Keep bumping and grinding. I mean, me and Jod during college, we spent, what, three weeks, one winter, just searching. Yeah. I mean, it was driving a creek, driving a creek, driving the next one, you know, wherever, until you finally bump in. And then it's like, all right, we know they're here. Yep. And as long as you don't mess with them, they're going to be happy. And unfortunately, this time of year, like, just because you find them in one spot, it's like, all right, let's look at why they're here and try to replicate mm-hmm. this it's like yeah. you can't even really do that it's yeah, yeah they're going to be in similar stuff but there's a million spots like the spots they're in that don't have fish and right. then there's you know 100 a, that have fish there's a lot you can put together but there's also some chaos some randomness too yeah. as well yeah. you know it's, it's it is crazy how their creatures a habit though it's like they like the same stuff and and why they choose a little section of bank versus 100 yards down that has an oyster bar that looks just like it i don't know if they pattern you know, so as weird. they as they grow up, but it's like mm-hmm. there's spots, and y'all know them too. Where there's like, I'm not saying anything specific, any specific spots, but like you know, pulling down this bank, I'm probably gonna always see one right here. And if I don't, he's five feet off the bank, and he's gonna mud out when I'm halfway over him. It you almost know? it almost seems like they're protecting something this time of year. You know, yeah. they, they get spooked off it for a second, but they come right back yeah. towards that little area, that spot, that zone. Yeah. Like they're trying to protect their, you know, whatever. For I don't know sure. what That's it is. That's a good point. It's interesting. It is interesting. It's like a trout in a river wanting the, the A spot. <laughs> yeah. Get the most food. First first man in the riffle. First man in the riffle. The back man, though. He gets those big bugs the little ones can't eat. Nope. <laughs> so uh, we've got, you know, we've kind of really been discussing slot redfish, you know, smaller redfish. But we have a really good fishery up and down the coast here for, you know, bigger redfish, for bull redfish and ocean 
you know, dwelling redfish. And why don't y'all, uh, let's, let's work our way up the coast as far as kind of zones in which that happens where you can kind of, you know, like down here, Wrightsville beach and Oak Island, there's some ocean structure, uh, any type of real ocean structure in that like one to 15 mile range, you can find those big fish on almost year round black drum and redfish. But you get up in the Pamlico sound, you get the spawners up there, you get the big schools off the beach and the outer banks. Um, what, what do y'all think about that? <laughs> I was trying to ask a question, but I more just like stated a bunch of stuff. <laughs> no, I, I think I, you're, you're basically trying to bring in kind of the bull redfish in, in North Carolina yeah. and, and what we think about it. And, um, Man, I, I love targeting those big big redfish in North Carolina. I think it's super fun and for sure. There's so many different ways to do it, right? Louisiana is really known for their their sight fishery as far as those big fish go, but you know we have that opportunity as well, particularly um, in the springtime when they first push in all up and down the coast from from South Carolina, um, even Florida, and and up into the Chesapeake. You can find those big fish in the spring getting really shallow, and there's there's tons of opportunity to sight fish them. Um, that's, that's probably some of my favorite time to target those yeah. bull redfish in North Carolina, at least. Um, For sure. And, and, you know, even in our region, they start pushing into the, the inlets and estuaries and, and they, they can sometimes get shallow. So I, I love targeting them, them in the spring and, and throughout the summer and into the fall, they'll, they'll kind of stick around inshore, near shore. And usually by winter, they kind of push off near shore wrecks and off to the continental shelf and hang out there throughout the rest, rest of the winter. And you can you can jig them and bottom fish them then as well. So, it, you know, opportunities to be had on those big fish all year long, but I particularly like the spring. For sure. For sure. The spring's good. They're hungry, you know. Where do y'all think those big fish go in the winter? There's, like, so much debate of are they going south? Are they going offshore? Are they still, you know, right off the beach? And you get them, and people catch a few, like, in every one of those scenarios. So it's yeah. like where, where do you think the mass moves to? I have read that the big biomass pushes off the continental shelf, and that's where they kind of hang out throughout the winter. Now, I've I've heard stories that that's not always the case. I think that's probably due to bait them, you know, them following bait and water temperatures. But I think typically science is the science textbooks will tell you that they typically winter off the continental shelf, off of our coastline. Okay. So, like, in deep water, like deep hanging water. out in deep water. Deep just water. out there where a lot of the bait and the bigger yeah. fish kind of congregate. Because yep. they're big enough that, I mean, they'll get eaten out there, but they they can they can make make a living. I was say, they can stand on their own out there. Yeah. I uh, think probably where you find that temperature break, somewhere on those those wrecks at that temperature break, where yeah. it's, you know, getting into the upper 60s, low 70s. Yeah. I wonder why you don't see more people bumping into them trolling. And maybe they're just living on the bottom. You always yeah. hear people, they'll be group or fishing or something in the winter, and all of a sudden their screen lights up, and they catch a bunch of bull redfish for a few minutes. But yeah, I guess just like anything, though, they just mill around. Like, there's no yeah. rhyme or reason to those big fish. They just kind of wander around like like a herd of cattle without a fence almost. <laughs> <laughs> That's how someone explained it to me in Louisiana one time. It's like, think about, you got to look for natural edges and natural funnels and coves and pockets that are going to catch these fish and lead these fish. Like, you got a big school of fish on a certain bay in the pamlico like there are a lot of fish in an area and they disappear like what has the wind been doing where's the bait been driven how are the fish gonna they swim following the way the bait was pushed what where's it gonna lead them to so sure kind of fun to think in those those big ways a little little uh daunting to to try to wrap your head around that kind of stuff but that's where the fishy people are separated from the fishermen you know I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader. 
and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for Big Reds, Cobia, Tarpon, and Jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their seven foot medium light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. What's your favorite way to target these bull redfish and what time of year you like? Oh man, I really like, I really like trying to sight fish them. Um, but I don't know. It's all fun. It is fun to catch them vertically on wrecks and stuff too. But I mean, I think that the sight fishing is, is the way to go and stay tuned because we're going to, me and Michael and Jeff and Cameron are, are going to put in a lot of time this summer to try to figure out where it can happen no. and not we're not going to share that but we're going to have it for ourselves but we're going to spend a lot of time up and down the coast really looking for shallow water fish here in north Carolina because we think that it, it's pretty pretty doable and untapped so yeah no doubt um we're gonna we're gonna do some looking and 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 kind of uh there's a lot of zones down where we are up north you know in the ocean on sandbar edges i mean i think that's a big one that that you get all these sandbar edges riches inlet you get topsail inlet you get new river inlet where these fish if they're sliding up and on the coast they're going to spend time shallow and for sure just taking advantage a lot of times it's scary to like burn a pretty day to go do something that doesn't have a guarantee and i feel like for fish like this and to kind of discover new realms of fishing if you Gotta will you have to make yourself do that and so it's it's something that uh is, is especially guiding is tough to do because it's yeah. like it's hard to convince someone but you get those right clients that that like the adventure and that have the pockets to. It's kind of ho- all about how you sell it. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to sell it correctly. So it's like you got to go, man. It would be epic, but there's a really good chance that we won't see anything. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly, exactly. So high risk, high reward. You got to kind of yeah. bump out of your comfort zone to to get that thing that's really good. What would you? How would you rank North Carolina's fishery for redfish to other states that y'all fished? honest uh honest opinion man north carolina redfish ranked against all other redfish states i haven't fished that many louisiana florida south carolina north carolina that's a good amount (laughs) (laughs) that's like most of the states that i've redfished (laughs) i mean as far as the states that i fished i'm probably in the same but as amount of days that i put in on the water you've done georgia haven't you Mm-mm. You didn't do Georgia? Nope. I thought you, no, that was, that was Georgetown. Yeah, we Georgetown. did Georgetown. Okay. I mean, Georgetown, South Carolina is awesome. I will yeah, say that. South Carolina is pretty awesome. Um, Really beautiful. A lot of, a lot of diversity. Same as North Carolina. I think though the diversity is packed in a little bit more. Like in Georgetown, we kind of covered what we would see in, you know, Cape Fear all the way to Topsail in one day in yeah. Georgetown. Yeah, pretty um, close together. Yeah, 
you know, a 20, 25 minute bow ride pretty much. So, um, Florida, Florida's awesome. A lot of diversity there too. I mean, I've caught them in the Keys. I've caught them Indian River Lagoon, Naples, you know, kind of all over the place. I think it just depends on kind of where your home is. But what do you, what would you, all right, let's just talk about Virginia and South Carolina versus North Carolina. So what would you say the differences are? In the estuaries and the way the fish behave in Virginia versus North Carolina, we'll do that first, and then we'll go to South Carolina. But but what would you say are the large differences? I've I've never really targeted the small redfish in Virginia. I I've think only, that's like an up and coming thing there. Yeah, it's like the, the, yeah. the, the the management of those bull redfish there has has done really well, and yeah. there's lots of you know slot and over slightly over slot redfish in the shallows now, right? Yeah, I, I mean I've primarily spent my time targeting the bigger reds up there, and, and not a ton of time. Yeah. But most of the time that I've spent is, is looking in that open water and some shallow water areas as well, doing some bait fishing and, and really cruising and looking for those big yeah. schools floating up those on the surface. herds of cattle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that you can't, Never know you can't where they're going to be. So w- as far as the estuary overall goes, though, right. just from a Google, even just if you never fished it, just from like a Google Earth perspective, what do you feel are some of the large differences that they have compared to us? Right. I th- I think... When you're talking and even Maryland. I mean, yeah, Maryland's got sure. redfish now, too, in, in, a, in a big way. So so I, I think you're kind of talking um, those smaller bays on the backside of, you know, Chincoteague and Assateague and areas like that, which it's a decent amount of area, but it's it's not anything in comparison to, like, what we have when you start thinking about the Pamlico Sound and, and the estuaries that we have. We have a much larger, vast area for, for redfish to kind of come in and hang out, just bigger bigger habitat, bigger environment for them. Um, but there is opportunity up there. I yeah. haven't spent a ton of time doing it, so it's it's hard for me to speak to. But as far as just kind of what it looks like on you know on the map goes, it's it's a it's a much smaller area, but still plenty of area. A lot of similarities. Um, the tide's not as big up there, so you know you you probably don't have fish moving quite as much. But yeah. um, you know, I, I just haven't spent a ton of time up there, so hard to speak to. I think even a lot of that interior edge of the of the Chesapeake from sure. the Maryland line down on the mainland side and the eastern shore yeah. side has a lot of really good-looking stuff on Google Earth. Lots of creeks, lots oh. of sand, bo- like good sand bottom, clean water all year. Um, that that just really enticing. Now, yeah, that's the problem you get into these bigger estuaries and it's kind of funny how I guess the Louis, I guess the Mississippi River dumping out down there in Louisiana just gives it so much diversity as far as shorelines and edges go, which we don't have in the Pamlico and the Chesapeake. But outside of that, uh, like the the one benefit to that is the fact that you can get to a lot of areas even if the weather's bad, right? Mm-hmm. But but the Chesapeake and the Pamlico, you kind of have to pick your poison. Like oh, I'm yeah. going to launch here and fish this stuff today, or here and fish this stuff today. It's big water, man. You won't find water. many pulling skiffs or no. flats boats, and it, it won't ever really be able to happen that way. Be, right. be, no matter what happens, but but the fishing is there. I mean, the, I look at the Chesapeake based off of what I've learned from Louisiana and the Pamlico Sound, sure. and I'm like, some of that stuff looks like the the holy yeah. grail of what oh, would yeah. be epic sight fishing for you know slot reds, but. Yeah, we'll have to spend some time up there this summer. I want to. And, and looking at it because it, it does look pretty awesome. There's some sweet looking stuff. Maybe it's barren, but I don't think so. I've talked to enough people that like, yeah, man, we'll be trout fishing in that shallow. And then all of a sudden it's like a school of redfish is all around the boat and you can see them. I'm like, okay, but you're now, you're, then you're going to turn around and tell me that you can't sight fish redfish in shallow water up there. But it's yeah. like, yeah. no, you just have to go do it. You got to take, you got to take that step of being uncomfortable and maybe feeling like you're wasting a day 
go shallow and look right. and just don't right. don't stay off the bank casting. Just go shallow where you can see and look. And all of a sudden you realize that you can't sight fish there. They just want to catch flounder and cobia. Yeah. I mean they've got some pretty sick options all in yeah, there. They really yeah. do. But that is one awesome place to fish. Between the is. black drum, the spade fish and sheep's head and Yeah, that everything. tunnel. It, it's just a big, massive mouth of a tongue Life. of water going out. Of, oh, I don't yeah. know what I'm saying. But largest estuary in the world. Yeah. It is that. Uh, no, I'm not even going to get into that. That I was going to start to talk about that that bay like that's like that on the west coast of Australia that I want to go to, but that's just completely that's a huge rabbit hole <laughs> that we can go now. <laughs> um, so bigger water would be the biggest difference in Virginia yeah, to North Carolina. Definitely. Is your water? I mean, you you can make the water small, but overall traveling around, you've got bigger water, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, it, it can it can th- keep the herds thin as far as people. You know, it, it can mm-hmm. keep the pressure down. It can make it to where you can hide. Like there's there's a lot of untapped stuff up there. You know, you think about North Carolina and South Carolina in a lot of areas. It's like uh, this at least the southern half of the state is there's no hiding out there. I mean, you're on the water, you're going to see other fishermen, um, and not that that won't happen up up north, but. W- the big, the big water, you know, the the need to make big, large runs, and maybe the need for a larger boat than you would maybe want to fish the shallows mm-hmm. would, would be kind of a some pros and cons of north of us. But what do y'all think about South Carolina? I would say maybe it's a little more similar, but still very different, similar to a very small portion of our our state. But what do you, what do y'all think? What's the relation? What's the differences in the the common air common commonarities? That's not a word. Is it? Similarities. Similarities. I've re- what? Yeah, you that, mix those two together. I'm gonna have to edit that out of there. <laughs> commonarities. What are the commonarities for North Carolina and South Carolina? I like it. I'm gonna use it. Okay. All right. I was gonna say definitely smaller water, a lot of creeks, but you still got you know bays and stuff like Bulls Bay and some of that stuff that you think about. That's still some bigger water, but not the size of the Pamlico or any of that until you get down towards Charleston. But even that starts to feel more like the Cape Fear. Then say the Pamlico Sound with new or um, with the noose or something dumping in, you know, it's still a big body of water, but a lot of creeks and a lot of topography on the sides versus for sure, you know, just big wide open bays and open water. So you've got some of those bays, but I mean, think they're not not as I mean, Winyah's massive, but Winyah, I, yeah, and but then you get down to Bo- like Beaufort. I always I still always get this mixed up. Beaufort is the South Carolina one, right? Beaufort yeah. is North Carolina. Okay, yeah. um, you get down to Beaufort and you kind of get that again, but that in between is yeah. is similar size wise to what we see on our southern coast, yep. but still very different. Bigger tides, a lot mm-hmm. more oysters. Uh, kind of like what you see down in Georgia, and a lot of water movement. And I've grown oh, yeah. to like like water movement in a sense, but also find myself jealous of like non-tidal estuaries <laughs> that people get to fish as well because it, from the sight fishing side of things like yeah. i think you lose some of the cool things that fish do without tide but you gain the ability to sight fish all day right um, which right. is kind of your your you know it's your back it, forth. i feel like it's more difficult and fun to guide because you've you're constantly thinking about where to go based off the tides yeah we're a non more dynamic right more dynamic but a, a more tidal area i mean a less tidal area you're just like oh i can go here i can go there i can go here anytime right. you want right. options are endless it right. seems right <laughs> like right. Th- there's been days where i've ruined a trip because i made the move at the wrong time of the time, right 15 you know? minutes too late and it's like those fish just push further off the banks than they them. were 15 minutes ago yeah. it's just but that's what makes it fun right you know For sure 
more that, difficult. It does make the timing of the trip like when you hit it right, it's awesome. Like, yeah, I got to. Mm-hmm. Pl- I know we're still going to see some fish on this bank, but it's fading a little bit. Like when you but just if we time make this twenty banks. minute run and we oh, hit yeah. this next bank, it's going to be on. And you make that run, and it's yeah. like you're just like oh, yeah, you, you you're right. like idling up to the bank, and you see birds and fish waking down. And you're like, oh man, it's perfect. So <laughs> it doesn't always happen like that, but when it does, it's like you get those little tingles down your back. Yeah, fired yeah. up, fired up. But so South Carolina would be bigger tides. Darker water, still very yeah. sight fishable, but but I would see a lot more freshwater rivers running into the the marsh down there. So, I think they're yeah. they're one big thing too, in particular to our area that way we primarily fish and and their area is just how vast their marsh system is. Right, we kind of have that zone between the intercoastal water waterway and the, yeah. the mainlands of the beaches. Right, topsail figure eight, all pretty island, close. All those things, it's all it's all pretty close. It's it's a tight confined marshland. Whereas there, it's it's vast, it's massive, right? It just mm-hmm. goes miles and miles. It goes way further inland than than what we have, which I don't necessarily know is a good thing or a bad thing. I think it can get a little probably overwhelming. Yeah, but it can maybe house more fish. Yeah, you know than so. than what we have. Um, but I think that tide change down there too, being as big as it is, really positions those fish a lot more than say somewhere that. You know, doesn't have that for that sure. tide because it seemed like when we went down and fished with Johnny, I mean, they're here for like you said, twenty thirty minutes, they're gone. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's it's definitely that tide game, but positioning and just figuring it out and learning it definitely be way more daunting. This fish have to be more mobile than ours because yeah. I mean, an eight foot tide swing on a day to day basis, as opposed to what ours is on average four four and a half or yeah. so. I mean, this. There's some areas that's just crazy to think about. An area that's eight feet of water is going to have no water in it, yeah. and it'll, mm-hmm. the whole flat will be like that. And at one point, it'll be loaded with fish, and obviously there'll be no fish there when it's dry. So it's yeah. just, I you got a feeling that those fish are so much more mobile than ours. Yeah, a four and a half foot tide on a regular basis seems like enough. <laughs> like a little stressful, yeah. but no, it is a lot. It is a lot. It's uh, an eighth. You can have those aha uh-uh moments down there of like, oh crap, we're not getting out of here for a while. <laughs> yeah. So I've never had that happen, but I have been in South Carolina dragging my boat out of stuff where I, I got a little, especially all those little creeks, man. Yeah. The scariest things are the little tight creeks when you're trying to fish them low tide if you don't know them and you're fishing them on a fall. Yeah. You, you keep pushing back them, you're hearing fish blow up, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh crap. You watch your last three fish like belly crawl across the bar away from you, and you're like, we're going to be in here for a long time. There's <laughs> to nothing go. to do. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that, that's I, – I feel like North Carolina is just a perfect split of the two. You know, you got yeah. that South Carolina low country style of fishing mm-hmm. in areas, but then you also have that, like, big open water estuary that relates a lot like Louisiana that you see in Virginia. And you, we've got the biggest redfish in the world. North Carolina, Virginia has the biggest redfish in the world. Like, yep. if you want to catch monster redfish that make Louisiana bulls look like puppy drum, yeah, I mean, North Carolina, Virginia is – where it's at. Just the head size on those things. the 60, 70 pounders you yeah. come here. Yeah, that's, it's the place to do it. So it's the same body of fish. I would say the Chesapeake probably has a few more of the monsters than we do, but we've we've got the, the big ones. So we're, uh, we're excited as, as a group of guides and anglers to kind of really try to figure out the sight fishing for those here in North Carolina and be able to offer that to people. Um, so that's something we're going to be working towards. If, if uh, if you're interested and you're not, uh, you don't have a skiff and you don't live in North Carolina, hit us up. Maybe we'll take you. <laughs> We're going to be very secretive about it, though. <laughs> um, I don't even know why I'm sharing that on the podcast, but 
it's uh it's i didn't really share too much i don't think did i no all right we're good we're good um got to keep some secrets you guys but let's say dialing back in the like we talked about our big bulls kind of moving in during the springtime or summertime you know our summertime bulls are out off the beach near shore stuff but we got a you know big site fishery for them popping corks big schools of them up in the the pamlico during the summer yeah um and then fall time those fish that do push back down south that do come down the coast i mean we have big groups of them that show up here near shore rack right off the beach floating a lot of guys catch them on you know the pokeballs here right off the beach king mackerel fishing different stuff like that so just kind of coming back to what we have here in north carolina you know we have a maybe not year-round site fishery for them you know the winter time is not something where there's a ton of those big ones here but during that spring summer fall time they are here there's a possibility that you're going to bump into them or find them for sure most definitely most definitely it's uh they're around that you can catch them all year i mean i hear bluefin guys every once in a while trolling and they're catching you know those big bull redfish in the ocean bluefin fishing and um you know there's just it's a cool it's cool to know that there's still stuff that's untapped you know even as as beat up as some fisheries can get you know push yourself go find something new go find something different and, and uh and protect it so that's it that's it well guys that's our north carolina redfish recap if you will um Sorry, I got a little secretive there at the end. I shouldn't have even brought anything up. I feel awkward about it. But we'll uh, we'll hopefully uh, we'll be doing some more podcasts, you know, with Mike, Jeff, Cameron, and I, Ozzy together, just kind of discussing. I mean, this is what I love to do is sit down and just have do a podcast with, with y'all and, and kind of talk about our own fishery because we, what we have here is just so incredible. But, guys, thanks for checking out the Eastern Current Podcast. And as always, we'll see you next week. If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Mate out of South Carolina. Carolina First Mate is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.